Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and the other half of the gruesome twosome is my friend and your friend, Chris O'Toole. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing. I'm doing good. You know, I'm. I'm excited. You and me are. You know, today we've we've we tried something a little bit different because we noticed last week the mailbag ate most of the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this week we're gonna try. We're gonna do a little separate. So this is just. It's just pure footnotes. You know, you and me just being pure footnotes, like before we even had a mailbag, how it used to be. <laughs> True, actually, which is weird to think about because I, I don't remember that time. But yes, it did once exist. Did it actually now, – now that I think about it, or did we just use – turn out a punk emails as the mailbag? I don't original? know. I feel like we didn't. But we, we pretty early on from what I remember got uh, messages, mm-hmm. thankfully, related to what we were talking about. So uh, we've been very fortunate in that respect. But yeah, yes. anyway, yeah. just the show to this uh, this episode. Yeah, so today we are just going to be talking about the Wes Eisold episode of Turned Out of Punk. Wes, of course, from American Nightmare, Cold Cave, Some Girls, and uh, yeah, just like a a real uh, uh, zeitgeist in hardcore. I would agree. Um, and so there's a lot to talk about, Chris. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think a lot of it is certainly in our wheelhouse big time as far <laughs> as timing-wise because uh, – it's weird to think of people that you interview as like contemporaries of your generation or whatever, but it's very apparent from that interview. Um, kind of what was broached is sort of, uh, anyway, we'll get into it, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think we'd definitely, we will definitely dive into that. Uh, well, I guess now, like, is there any news to get to? Not that I'm aware of. No, but, um, I, I guess you, you did send me one news story, and it's Frank Ocean wearing a trash talk shirt, but that wasn't at the Grammys he was wearing that because he was not at the Grammys, right? Yeah, no, no. This was just uh, – you're right. I forgot I forwarded that to you. But yeah, it was just some kind of uh, – it was not at the Grammys. It was just a live shot from, I don't know, some random show. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you've told me about that in the past or something that he liked them. So it didn't really oh, surprise yeah. me, but it was still cool to see photographic evidence. Yeah, and also – Here's another cool thing that I think we've talked about before on the show is uh, he moshed for Iron Age at the Iron Age original reunion. Or maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I've heard you say his name in relation to something. I guess I mistook that it was Trash Talk. So either way, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, but he's he's friends with Trash Talk too. So uh, pretty cool, pretty cool photo, pretty cool shirt. But unfortunately, not at the Grammys. But, you know, uh, and not a lot for us to talk about. At all at the Grammys. <laughs> you know what? I'm willfully ignorant of what happens at the Grammys because I could care less about what, you know, pretty much anything. So I didn't even look into <laughs> the winners or I don't even care at all. So it doesn't matter. It's not punk. That's for sure. No. And it's it's like, I don't know. I like even even when I like Guns N' Roses and like Metallica, uh, you know, like Death Row Tull beat Metallica. Yeah, I I, that's. It's funny you were going to mention that. That's the only thing I remember vividly. There's two things, and you kind of hit on them both. One was whatever years Metallica was up, they always lost to Jethro Tull, and it was always irritating because Jethro Tull were not even a metal band. And uh, that sort of weird category at the time, thinking like how unjust that was. Uh, And then the other thing was, I think it was the Grammys, I'm quite positive, where – I don't think they presented. I think they won. But Guns N' Roses, when they went up, they swore. Oh, that was on the American Music Awards, wasn't it? Or is it AM? Okay, so it was one of them. Sorry. Yeah. So either way, that's those are the only two real memories I have from those uh, events or events like that, really, in my life. Yeah, I don't have too. Uh, I don't have too too many. Uh, you know, real Grammy memories. Uh, no. My friend Noage has been nominated for him, and actually Henry Owings from Chunklet Magazines won. I think twice. How has he won? Box set design or like packaging. Oh, okay. So for like, yeah, if things like that, that would make sense. But like, I just mean the general, whatever, the pageantry of the event. Like, I don't care about like, Yeah. Who cares? It's just um, such silly vanity anyway. Who cares? Davey Havoc has uh, like a moon man, has a couple moon man from the <laughs> MTV Awards. I think you put up a photo with them or something, didn't you? Yeah, like a long time ago. I yeah. got to hold them and when I was at his house. 
which, you know, like, I, I don't care about winning an award. Like, you know, when, when we won that player's prize, that money was great. You know, we got two, a lot of cool stuff with that stuff, but don't get me yeah. wrong. But like, you know, as far as winning an award, like, it's not like, uh, you know, like poison idea doesn't have any statues. <laughs> you know? I don't think, I don't think even like, you know, some of the other, whatever, like pioneering groups that certainly would deserve them do either. So yeah. Um, you might have to explain to the younger generation even what a moon man is now that I think about it, though. Don't they just still – they still give it away as a moon man, don't they? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's a ubiquitous thing anymore. I think – I don't know. Well, you're right. Videos aren't as ubiquitous as they once were. Yeah, yeah. But uh, MTV moon men, for people that do not know what they were, they were the statues that MTV gave away for their MTV video awards. Yeah. And it was an iconic uh, statue that had a uh, swirling flag on it too. But I don't. You're right. Now I don't know if they still give them away. I don't know. It. Uh, it I. I have a feeling they probably do, but I just think like I can't think of that image of anyone like holding one up in a long time. But again, I don't watch those whatever shows of awards either. So I don't know. Maybe they do. If only there was a two-time former guest of the show. That we knew at MTV that may be able to answer these sorts of questions. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking Meredith about. Meredith Graves. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I forget. See, I forget about these things. Do you still have Moon Men? We'll see if she writes back before the end of the show. <laughs> nice. And again, proving my point, if she goes, what's Moon Men? That'll be my favorite. I, I put MTV. Sorry, I, just, I didn't. Verbatim, oh, okay. You know, I, I, I thought mean, you were just putting it like just like loosely out there so that it would, could be construed anyway. Anyway, um, this is dice. This is dive. Uh, whatever. We're on a tangent already. We are. We are definitely tangentially moving along at a, a weird uh, breakneck speed now. Um, so I, I like. Uh, I guess we should dive into the episode, right? And, yeah, I think and, you had to do your plugs, though. No. Oh yeah, I guess we should do the plugs first. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with. Myself, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can also find me on various forms of social media, at left for Damien. You can, uh, if you want to support this show and you use iTunes, subscribe to it, write a review and rate it. That would be great. If you do use iTunes, please do that. And if you don't use iTunes and you want to support the show, just tell your friends. Tell everyone you know. If you would like to see some of the cool things that could send into the show, we post them over at Facebook on facebook.com slash turnoutapunk. It's a page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. And if you would like to see uh, that stuff and you don't use Facebook, you can go over to uh, turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. And that is it for the plug portion. How do they get in touch with us here, Chris, normally? Uh, well, you can reach us here at turnoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And right now, we would normally be going into a mailbag, but you will see in your feed in the next couple of days a very special all mailbag edition of Turned Out of Punk footnotes because we uh, we screwed up the mailbag so royally with the Turned Out of Punk live series last month. We're going to have a special mailbag clear out episode. Indeed, yeah, that'll be good too. And so when you when you got to shovel this much shit, you need some extra hands. And so we've <laughs> called in the two Daves to come back to the party and help clean up some of the mess they've made of our mailbag. <laughs> True. Yes. Or subject them to what we normally have to deal with uh, on a weekly basis. Yes. Well, I think I think it's more like, uh, you know, they, they ruined it, Chris. It's their fault <laughs> in our mailbag. So we got to make it better. Um, but we've got, before we get to that, Chris, before we get to recording that, we've got to dive into this episode. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's start, I guess, why don't you take the very first point, Chris? Cause this is one that, you know, I'm not saying you were like freaking out about it, calling me constantly about it, but this is one that you were excited to hear. Well, yeah, I was, but I also think like your, the importance I felt that the reason for the interview being done was more of an importance that I thought it was uh, highly relevant to the age group that we are mm -hmm. and kind of who you've already got on the show. It was, it was sort of the shocking one that was like a glaring omission amongst a lot of the newer people that you've even gotten in, in place. Uh, regardless, yes, I am a fan. Um, uh, not the biggest fan in the world, but yeah, certainly I'm a fan of the music. Um, first point, good, good Lord. Um, 
I think we should probably, well, well I guess maybe before, we, before we get to the first point, like, I guess we'll yeah. just talk about maybe just Anne broadly and kind of the importance and impact of this band. Um, cause like I, I can remember hearing about him and it's funny cause he brought up them playing Ottawa before they played Toronto. And I was thinking about this a lot more now. Yeah. Um, it must've been like LaForge and that whole like miles between us crew that brought them up. I, yeah, I don't know factually cause again, I don't remember the show he's speaking of, but, uh, because I never even saw them the first time they, cause the first time they played Toronto, they played Who's Emma, Mike. Yeah. And it wasn't Ewan that did the show. I incorrectly identified that Ewan. It was pretty, I'm pretty sure it was Mike from Fucked Up. Yeah, I would assume. But, uh, but I wasn't at that show. So I, I came slightly later to them, but I did see them probably not too far after that Toronto show, but for whatever reason, I saw them in Buffalo. But yeah, I don't remember the Ottawa one, but based on the timing, uh, I would think, yeah, it would have something to do with those like that crowd of people and like miles between us, or I don't even know if miles between us were a band then, but whatever incarnation of the bands that those guys were in, I, I assume was something related. Um, but yeah. Um, but no, I don't know anything about that show specifically, but yeah, it's funny that he mentioned that. And it is kind of bizarre that of all the places they played Ottawa before Toronto. Yeah. Like that's what, but it must've been cause like the, that was kind of when miles between us was, I guess, you know, those guys were going, I don't I guess, I'm assuming they did the show. I don't know for, yeah, factually, who did do that show? But yeah. yeah, it's like a weird thing to do. Not that Ottawa's like, you know, like a, a nothing city compared to the monolith of Toronto, but it's just like they're, you know, it's never historically had. I guess that's not true. I guess like in the nineties, like you know, when you know, obviously, you know, Sean Scallon still being a key part of that scene, but like, you know, that that era, like you had Shotmaker, you had a lot of big bands come out of there. Maybe yeah, you did. I, more I think- than Toronto. I think there was a there was a certainly a window. I would never like yeah. Ottawa deserves a certainly uh, credit uh, of the era or even slightly before. But I think what you're trying to get at, which is what I sort of agree with you on, certainly is the idea that I see like American Nightmare and the bands of that era as like kind of ushering in this sort of uh, I don't know. I guess what I would say is the reactionary like negativity back in hardcore, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think Ottawa was big on for that or on that. I mean, again, I've never lived in Ottawa, so maybe someone could prove me wrong with this too. But um, whereas I think Toronto became the haven for it. So to hear that that band hit Ottawa first as opposed to Toronto is what I'm referencing. Not so much that, you know, whatever. Of course, there's bands in Toronto and promoters and – or sorry, Ottawa, pardon me. Uh, either way, whatever. Well, yeah, because normally you'd be Montreal also. Like a lot of bands play Montreal. Long of course, yeah, Toronto yeah. Too. Yep. And so – you know, it, it is a weirder one that they'd be playing Ottawa, but like they, you know, when that band came out, like right from the demo, there was, you know, like people knew about them and people were excited about them. I remember watching videos of them, like an early show and they were just like a, a wild unhinged band live too, especially at that point. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was like it, they, you know, right from the, right from the get go, they were a key kind of band. So you're right saying, you know, for our demographic, they were one of the key bands. Well, I think it was just like there was a number of bands and some came up in the interview, which I'm sure we will get, we will hit on. But I think it's just like, it's, it's, I have a hard time categorizing or like whatever, articulating specifically, but there was this weird sea change and it wasn't that everything that came in their wake, although there was certainly some of that, but I just mean in general, like if you think about the bands that were popping at that era, um, because, you know, obviously in Toronto-centric view, like you think of things like No Warning or – and No Warning would by no means were a result of American Nightmare at all. But, um, you know, that – there were still contemporaries in that sense. So all of these things were kind of happening in different spots and they just sort of all seemed to like be happening at the same time. And that's what I mean by that wave of stuff, which seemed to be certainly much more negative. I think it was a bit harder than the stuff that had existed uh, for the most part, I mean, obviously there was outliers like Floor Punch or, uh, as 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 forementioned, uh, Right Brigade in the interview. Yeah, like uh, I think that's the that like you know not to say that any band's you know responsible for any other band, but like you know I remember when uh, when No Warning first like or when even As Once Were you know on the second demo had like the fast hard song, you know, and like they were writing the songs yeah. that would become the overtime stuff. Um, yeah, you know, which a lot of those were early kind of like no warning type songs too. Um, it, it was a, uh, you could tell like right brigades, the influence. 
Yeah, I think like to me, and it's funny because he says it, and maybe I don't know if you want to go into this point as like a first point, because it's ironic because I've never really gotten into this band's records, admittedly, but of course I've heard them and I think they're good. But uh, Right Brigade, of course, majorly important. But if I'm trying to think of the two major tastemakers other than the obvious like old cues that people always use of like earlier New York hardcore stuff like that, but like Right Brigade to me and Floor Punch as far as like this era of band were probably the two biggest hallmarks that I recognized early on when I think back on it. Um, the other one I would give a lot of credit to, which is weird because they were another short lived band, but, and I can't, I'd have to look up the years, which I, we might do, I guess, but uh, shark attack was the other big one. Yeah. And I, I definitely think see like, shark. I think shark attack was later though. Yeah, I believe so. Um, but you're, you're right. But shark attack, you know, like Matt Summers at that point was the tastemaker in hardcore. Yeah. Like he, I remember him talking about like the tapeworm seven inch and then I was like hardcore kids got interested in killed by death records, you know, like not to say that like, but I mean like hardcore kids that were on the mullet board got interested. Yeah, in, totally. I know that, mean, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, the once again, the mullet board, which comes up in the interview and yep. like how many people look read that thing. And you know, it's weird to think, I wonder how many people read that thing, but it was like, all the people that read it certainly had influence in certain aspects of their scenes. You know, well, so I mean, a, I remember it, but I was never on it. I never. It was, I was hard aware. to get on. Yeah, I was never. Um, I never contributed. I never even attempted to get on, but I remember it being a thing. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, um, was that not essentially the precursor to what the Bridge Nine board then became? Or am I off base there? Um, I don't. Yeah, I guess it was, right? Like, I think ultimately it was bought by uh, uh, Jamie Josta. Oh, it was? I yeah, he, know that. he okay. bought X Mullet X at, at, at a certain point. Um, wow. Uh, it, like, I, I can't, I don't know what, like, I guess it would have been the precursor to that. Like, I'm trying to think if there was another message board in between the two. But yeah, the B9 board, I guess, was the. Uh, Which is, <laughs> the again, it's, yeah, it's funny now because I. I I assume that still exists. I don't yep. even know. Um, but message boards to me are kind of a weird thing in the in the most recent years because I think social media has done a pretty uh, thorough job of, to a large degree, uh, making them fairly obsolete. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that was definitely, especially this era and the mullet board specifically, I still would estimate, I mean, again, I don't know how many people had mm -hmm. logins because I never really frequented it, but... I would say there was probably at least a thousand people on it, at least. Yeah, like I'm, not, but I'm saying like lurkers more than people that were actually on it. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Because like it was th thousands, I think is reasonable. Yeah. I don't mean like tens of thousands, but you know, like I would say meh, two to three maybe who frequented, like frequently looked at it. Mm -hmm. Think of how big festivals were in the in that time, like quote unquote festivals. Like think of like early Hellfest or like whatever Posse numbers and that kind of stuff. Like what those draws would have been, and then I don't know, make it slightly larger, I guess, and that would be I don't know, probably about three, a few thousand, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably. I'm right. probably we're probably under ballparking too, honestly, because like where we live in that era, even you being in Toronto, um, you know, Toronto still has a pretty small scene, really. You know, in turn, and where I'm at, there's like <laughs> might as well be a desert, uh, or especially in that era, so. I don't know. It's a hard thing for me to ballpark because I wasn't at any shows in these major, like, you know, cosmopolitan places, especially mm -hmm. in the north, northeast U.S. Well, some of those shows, you look at, like, some of those early AM shows and it's packed. Yeah. Like, it's, it's big halls, you know, like, obviously mm -hmm. not as big as where they would wind up playing, but, you know, pretty big halls. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's funny because, like, you, you know, like, you think back to that time period and you think uh, how big – stuff was yeah and it felt you know it feels like it's bigger now i guess but was it you know is it <laughs> i think it's definitely, it it's definitely like more you know known about certainly in a, a mass scale but is it actually more popular like now than it's ever been Hmm. Um, I would tend to say yes, just because it's inevitable that, you know, popularity increases. And again, you have like, you know, back to social media and that whole, you know, that that machine wasn't what it is now then. So inherently, certain things will be catapulted farther, so to speak. 
But I, I'm with you in the sense that I don't feel what's – again, it, these are very specific things. If people wanted to be sticklers for what we're talking about right now, they could isolate – you know, certain subgenres of subgenres of subgenres and those gigs and how like, you know, how sparse those kind of gigs were as opposed to, you know, something like what American Nightmare was playing earlier on. But at the same time, like, um, you know, I'm just kind of broadly talking about like in general of this era, like, because obviously stuff like Hatebreed was huge and like even then and like, uh, uh, I'm trying, I'm just failing bands right now, but you know what I mean? Like that, that whole scene was preceded this, that was huge. This was kind of a different animal, but sort of, you know, was whatever people had their eye on that as well. And that this kind of got big and then it begats arguably bridge nine, which gets, you know, big to a point as well off of it, arguably. Um, so I, I don't know, like I think certain bands seem to be bigger like if we're talking about something like Turnstile, which is the obvious one we seem to always talk about on the show, um, yeah, that, they seem to be bigger. But it's – yeah, I don't know if the average bands – like I don't know if it's because too many bands exist now and it's harder to get notice. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like a lot of bands are smaller when those bands might have been bigger 15 years ago or 20 years ago. I, I, it's a difficult question. But, I mean, I think your band is a good example of why I think it is bigger because I don't think fucked up – although you're whatever, 13 some odd years going now, but I don't think fucked up in the first five, six years really had, you know, the whatever, the reach fucked up has now. No, but I think like, you know, you hear about seven seconds playing in Toronto and like, I think it's 90 or 89. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's okay. 700 people there. Yep. Um, it's, it, or like minor threat, those minor threat shows on the yep. California, like obviously there's a huge, there's huge shows now. Yeah. But I don't know, like it's, I'm always, but like you said, I think it's the fact that there's just so much more. I think, yeah, it's like this, uh, it, you know, I think when you have this, like, it's the idea of like, is it more diluted? Therefore people don't pay as much attention. Whereas like you take the early eighties or something like you just mentioned, or even mid eighties and like, there's less, I don't know, like, like there's easier to focus on the. 10 bands that everyone's going to go see in that era, so to speak. I know there's more than 10, but you're using pretty hallmark examples like, you know, seeing Seven Seconds of Minor Threat in their prime era. Yeah, those shows seemingly were big um, and arguably bigger, some of them. But I don't know. It's like, it's a hard thing to say. I think the world of like even American Nightmare, post-American Nightmare, what that became to me is just seems bigger. Uh, But, you know, you know, we can we can debate over what is like a, a real hardcore show in the DIY sense versus what that world became or was. And so there's a whole nuance to why, you know, certain bands were bigger because maybe they took opportunities other bands didn't or whatever you want to say. Whereas I think earlier on, the phenomena was just like, oh, X band's in town and that's kind of cool. Let's just go. And it was every, you know, youth mildly interested. Mind you, because like the American Nightmare show of that era in Toronto that I'm talking about, they're playing packed halls in Boston and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like Who's Emma basement, pretty yeah. full, but still yeah. not not like sold out type thing. So no, but you're but not too long after that, where I first saw them in Toronto was with uh, uh, what you would call it, Poison uh, the Well, Poison the Well, which again, not indicative of what American Nightmare like in my opinion that group meaning. Uh, but yeah, that show was big. That was at the reverb at the time, which I don't even know what the reverb held, but it was packed. Yeah. And they were, but they were opening for poison the well. Like I think, yeah, it was, uh, they were like, as, as, as a band goes, like, um, I think they, that was the thing is they were in, once again, this comes up in the interview, it's, it's a tough position. Like where would they go as a band? Like who did they play with? Like, yeah, I think you're hitting you're hitting. Yeah, that's a great segue to, to that point, to be honest, because I think that was the issue with that group, though. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about American Nightmare specifically, American Nightmare weren't enough of any one thing. No. So they didn't get seemingly I might be wrong here, but they didn't seem to get the uh, I don't know, the purists of any of those sort of amalgamations that they were. And so you didn't have them drawing like hate breed or whatever, like Earth Crisis at their height or something. Whereas, you know, and then playing, again, playing with Poison the Well, which now, 
to me anyway, just seems so bizarre that sort of pairing happened. Because I always viewed American Nightmare as like a, you know, like a hardcore band. I don't really view Poison the Well as a hardcore band, even a punk band. So that didn't make sense to me. But again, that era, it was all kind of weird and mishmash. And also, I think now, like in 2016, they would be, you know, like I know what you're saying at the time, like they weren't like my definition, my 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 narrow definition of what punk was at that yes. point. But yeah. but I think in, like this time and the you know the the things going the way they go, they're definitely in that punk pool because that's a that's a dude from uh, Sleigh Bells, right? I I don't know. I don't know anything about the members or, or what they. Yeah, that's Derek. That's Derek. That's possible. I don't like. It's no. I'm not even trying to be disrespectful. I just think like stylistically, it's just not what I think of. But yeah, it's those are murky waters in a you know whatever post hardcore post hardcore world if you will. Yeah. Like it's you know what is you know anyway we're getting way too philosophical with this. <laughs> what was uh, what was one of the other points uh, that you wanted to bring up there? I just want to look it up what like on the internet where yeah I think people call Poison the Wells like a hardcore punk band is what they're described on the internet as yeah in in 2017 and they were I guess they would probably have called themselves like obviously a hardcore punk band back then too but like not in the, out of the same mold that I think American Nightmare uh you know was was playing to a, a certain other type of scene yes. I I always thought too like when you think of the the eras of bands like again you have this it's hard to like summarize because again like people from the the region where like American Nightmare were kind of like from I'm sure have a different take than you and I who had it at a bit of a distance mm-hmm. as to what the growth was and what the crowd was like but for me like you know as an outsider experiencing that you know, they seemed, you know, and again, this is like speaking very broadly, but they seemed a lot more punk than a lot of other stuff of that era, including something like Poison the Well, all due respect. So that's that's where my focus was with a group like that. It was like, that's where I could identify with a group like that, whereas mm-hmm. I couldn't really, I don't know, you know, just the, the other things did, just did not resonate with me. And that, And you're right, though, American Nightmare, though, were not an out and out punk band arguably they weren't an out and out hardcore band so you have this like weird amalgam of whatever they were and that's why i don't think as he expressed in the interview that they felt a real home with anybody truly like they seem to get along with people but it never you know whatever sonically it never like paired up with anyone well or whatever i don't know how to say that yeah and i think also it was it was just before ambition was acceptable in hardcore like you, <laughs> you couldn't have the faintest air of becoming <laughs> anything close to a career aspirational punk or hardcore band. Well, again, I think you you have an era that is defined by you have them coming at the end of an era that is defined by so many things that are either aspirational, arguably over aspirational. If you take something like Victory Records and what the bands of that roster were doing or attempting to, and then you have simultaneously stuff that's like Heart Attack. And so that's like more of the whatever, the, the DIY thing, even taking like something like whatever, like Charles Bronson, you know, you had all these different flares of what, you know, what the uh, barometer for what is true, this and that, or what, you know, what should be. So you have all these groups that start coming out of the woodwork that, you know, American Nightmare isn't a good example, but they came at a time when it seemed to be more bands were just started going more knucklehead, just go back to doing like real deal early 80s. American hardcore. I think yeah. American Nightmare's negativity resonated with me in that respect. I don't think sonically they were quite there, although I do think like the first seven edge demo, whatever, is still pretty raw in terms of it being pretty bare bones and pretty just straightforward blasting. Well, it's funny because yeah, like I didn't like that LP at the t- like it's like we kind of I, t- I bring this up to him, yeah, um, and being like, oh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of. Uh, you know, I'm not, I wasn't as much of a fan of the LP when the LP came out. Now I go back and listen to it. I, I love that record. And I think it's just like at the time, you know, and, and pro, you know, everyone's like this when you're younger. You're just so precious about what you like. Yeah. And so that sure. 7-inch came out. I'm like, this 7-inch is fucking perfect. Yeah, it is. It's and great. Even by the second 7-inch, I was like, yeah, it doesn't sound like the first 7-inch in the <laughs> same exact way. And then by the LP – 
it was like they might as well have put out like Sandinista to me, you know, and like you yeah, go back and listen to it now. It's like it's, and like even Wesley's like, yeah, it's like not that much different. No, not at all. What we were doing. And it's like, yeah, that's right. But it was just so the rules were so defined back then as far as even your sound, like what you were and weren't allowed to do with your sound as a band. Yeah, well, I think I think you summarized it perfectly. The idea of like what level of ambition was acceptable in those eras. Yeah, and if you think of what the again when we're talking about what the uh, seemingly what the sort of the in vogue things were, and you take a band like Ripe Brigade, or you take a band like Floor Punch, or you know uh, just anything like that, you think of these like funny, and those bands aren't funny by any means, but you take these funny aspects of like how people how to heart people took some of the things related to that and you go, yeah, well, you know, that it doesn't always translate to every group. You know what I mean? And if you look at American Nightmares trajectory as a band, like, yeah, the second LP sounds pretty dramatically different from the first, whatever demo seven inch. Yeah. But, but the first, you know, the first LP or whatever sounds pretty in keeping with what a band on whatever, two or three, seven inches and then go jaw, humping, <laughs> humping, jumping, pardon me, <laughs> to LP would do. <laughs> Um, That's a crazy transition, the humping transition. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's like you can wax about that band. It seems to be they were a pretty div- divisive band in the sense where you either appreciated them or you didn't, and it was pretty black and white. Um, yeah, like I, I think there also are, though, eras, uh, you know, and like, in like yep. depending on when you got on. That's like with every band, right? Like, yep. you know, depending on when you get on depends which era you're loyal to. Yep. And I think when you're in a band, you know, and I, and I once again, kind of what I had an opportunity to con- confess almost to him that like, <laughs> you know, having now kind of walked in, in the path that he kind of, he kind of walked <laughs> through first, they kind of cut for me, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like, oh shit. It's like, it's very different than it appears on the outside. Yeah. When, when a band sound changes slightly and it seems like such a, cataclysmic shift from the outside but when you're on the inside it's like it's just the slightest a change and it's not even a change so much as just like you not trying to do the exact same thing again yes and i i think like you know let's you know to disclaim here by no means like i'm still guilty of that with bands holding Mm -hmm. this sort of like strange um really rigid idea of what i feel you know, certain sounds should be or certain bands should be or, or the type of maneuvering they should make. But, yeah, I'm with you. For me, I just – I liked this band even if it was something I didn't love that they did uh, as the later stuff. Um, it, you know, I still thought what they were doing like as far as their uh, – they were being genuine with who they seemed to be as a band, as their identity. So I never had any problem. Like I never thought it was weird. Whereas I think like some bands, when we talk about like, you know, the, the departure record formula or, or stuff like that, those seem to be a, a bit more uh, disingenuous than mm-hmm. I think like American Nightmare never had a real diverse sonic range, in my opinion. So to actually like tear apart what their, what their last stuff they did was just seems kind of silly because it was pretty much in, in the wheelhouse of what they always did, just slightly more finessed later. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, and I think your band is is similar too. To be honest, I think if you you know if you're looking at your group, for me, like yeah, your your later records are of course more epic and arguably poppier, and they're certainly not your first seven inch. But everything is pretty much in keeping with what you guys were from looking for looking for gold forward. Like nothing really to me jumps out at me as going, oh, this is like this should not be done. You know what I mean? That's and so I think that's where people got to watch their level of rigid. Whether or not you enjoy a record or not is another debate. But if it's you know genuine to what the group's vision is, then who really cares what anyone thinks? Yeah, bands shouldn't make music. It's funny to say like bands shouldn't make music for what other people think. That's the funny part. They should make art for how they want to make it. Like who cares what anyone thinks about it? That's the that's the biggest psychosis within music. It's like the best artists do not give a damn what anyone thinks about their music. Well, they all care, buddy. Well, they all probably they all care. There's, there's <laughs> they, a certain degree, but they, there's a lot of they can well, play it like they don't. Really. They can play it like they don't, and like yeah, maybe you know, maybe the Melvins, but <laughs> but like I uh, That's a great example actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but even then, like you know, the Melvins aren't going to go and put out something 
disrespectful to the to the fan base because they they you know they still depend on it as a job. Yes, that, that's the within punk. This is the big you know the big ever uh, ever looming issue is you you ultimately know where your butter is bred. Uh, butter. What am I saying this backwards? Where your bread the dabs, and butter. Chris. It's the dabs. Yeah. <laughs> I can't use that excuse, but uh, <laughs> no, it's just but, uh, it's through the phone. Yeah, contact eyes. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's yeah. We're we're discussing like the, the cult of uh, the cult of like of of punk guilt and uh, you know things of that nature, which I think pertain to some of these things. But yeah, it's um, I don't know. I don't well, know. It comes back to it on the show. Yeah. I just feel like when we when it get not you and I, but when I talk about this stuff too much, it just becomes redundant. Like people kind of know, you know. I would think people kind of have a, a general opinion of of like being an intelligent enough person to decipher what is not genuine or what have you. That's more the debate than like what is selling out or what is like you know like cheating on a sound or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't have very like I have rigid things for certain groups or what I like, but. At the same time, I'm pretty open to, you know, like a band like what you're in does. That's fine by me. And uh, from day one to now, I have no issue. So just depends. That's good, Chris, because I was going to hang up this fucking phone if you said <laughs> otherwise. No, I'm just kidding. I think uh, – I, like, I, I just think it always comes back to this because that's kind of like at the crux of punk of a certain type. It's like how do you balance the politic with uh, – the the commerce yes and, then, and also with the art you know like, well i oh. think the yeah the other thing to say though is that i think sometimes a band catches a wave and isn't even coherent to the fact that it becomes a bigger deal than it is so to speak and i think to an extent i don't know if if i'm being naive thinking about this but american nightmares seem to be that group like mm-hmm. when you think of like what he's talking about about i just wanted to be as big as right brigade like which was his quote, which seems absurd in hindsight when you think of a band like American Nightmare. Um, but there are moves, right? Like there are moves that you yeah. make as a band, like yeah. like where you're where you're like you know that wave might start, yeah, uh, and you might not know it, but once you're in it, like you know, as soon as you're touring with Poison the Well, yeah, and not bringing out like obviously you know he says there's no band that fits with them, and I and I agree definitely, but like yeah. you know like instead of just bringing out a smaller band or a random band. You know, like touring opening for another band in that slot is like you're trying to, you yeah. Know. And that's I not would, bad. Like I've, I, you know, I'm I'm doing the same thing. No, no, I agree. I I think what I meant to say though is that what they they seemingly in, inadvertently, to a degree, in my opinion, created an interest, um, a wider reaching interest somehow out of nowhere, that then opportunities came to them rather than them like trying to figure out a way to have those opportunities happen. That's what I mean by like the wave just happening and then being on it. Of course, you're always going to maneuver because the machine needs to to move or whatever. But I think like, you know, and I, I you know, I have experience with, with touring of the band and they were still on that label, right? Um, so I have a bit of a background. Like I remember seeing how they were perceived in that era as opposed to when I first heard of them. And they didn't seem to be all that much different in how they, like, operated, which I thought was weird because clearly there was, like, a progression there. Like, mm-hmm. it was a more legitimate label. There was reach. There was, you know, whatever. And they still didn't seem to be really um, – and who knows for the reasoning. But they didn't really seem to be capitalizing on it in the way that was uber ambitious would or something. But uh, I don't know. That could just be me having a whatever – not a, an ill-informed opinion on that. Who knows? Yeah, like I, 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 once again, this is not disrespectful in any way, but I think they did go for it. You know, like they didn't sign to a major label or anything like that, but they did what go for it in the sense that like they weren't running away from it. You know, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that either. But I, I, I didn't perceive it as them going in the way a lot of other bands have. I guess is what. Yeah, I mean. absolutely. Yeah, well, there's you know, but and also like they, once again, they were the band that kind of like blazed a, a certain type of path which is like a band that you know came out of a certain section of punk hardcore that you know didn't want to alter their sound but also appealed to and had yearnings to be part of a scene that was a little bit 
outside of where they were from. Yep, agreed. I think that's well said. I think he summarized that very well in the interview, actually. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I didn't think that's what my takeaway would be from that interview when you had mentioned you were going to do it. But uh, it was interesting to hear that. I'm always interested in artists in general that, you know, w- you know, have that conflict, you know, that sort of inner conflict of never really feeling a part of one thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me, especially when it's rooted in punk, which to like, you know, a sort of pedestrian ear, if you will, just it all sounds like a bunch of, you know, aggressive noise that they, they can't comprehend. But the nuance within whatever genre or style or sonic, whatever imprint, it varies greatly, you know. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I just thought you did a very good job with kind of like summarizing that era with him. And he did a, he or he did a good job, I guess you should say. But you did a good job with uh, whatever, shining a light on that. Well, thank you, Chris. Well, I, I think uh, yeah, like that. Once again, they were a band that you know I was a huge fan of. Like I, at that first show, uh, you know, and I was also at that other show. One of the last times I uh, I really moshed. What um, other show are you talking about? The, the Poison Wells well show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the first time I saw him was at that Huzama show when they played the basement. Yeah. With Damage. Cool. Was Damage one of the only bands in history that has a sequel? Because when there was Damage, and then <laughs> it became Damage Two. You are right. That's a funny. I never ever uh, thought about that idea. I'm guessing no for some dumb reason. But uh, let's think of other bands that have sequels, rare. like you know S O D M O D. But that's different, right? Like I'm thinking like yeah. an, a straight up sequel name. <laughs> True. <laughs> that is. It might be. That's a great Integrity uh, Two Thousand. You're, no, there you go. Maybe that's the other. But it's still arguably, you know, one, like two versus, but yeah. Yeah, I guess integrity might might have the the origin. I don't know. That's such a funny thing to think about now that you say that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe. I like those Damage records too. They're good records. I haven't listened to them in a good while, but they were a cool band. I only have the demo. And uh, um. Yeah, I got the demo of that show, but also at that show, I got that American Nightmare seven inch. That yeah. seven inch is like it, there's a lot of different variations of that. Oh, it's like inch. a million. Yeah, you talking the actual like Bridge Nine first one or the demo repress? The, no, the the Bridge Nine first one. That was what they yeah, toured yeah. on in, when they came here. Yeah, like that. that uh, the seven inch, I think the sort of the demo seven inch came out much later, right? Oh yeah, 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 totally. Um, but that I just meant though I didn't know, but yeah. Then again, why would they have had it? Hadn't been repressed when you would have seen them. Yeah, never thought of that. No, no, they had just had that seven inch, and they had, you know, they did that blue version. But like, do you remember the Mosh Camp covers? Of the seven inch, I don't remember. The only, like, yeah, the seven inch, I never go to the had. resource, Chris. We got to call it the resource. Yeah, I have it. I had it called up here. The only thing I remember was the, and I still want that demo, the actual cassette demo, but um. You're talking about the ones for the Bridge Nine, the first one. Yeah, I don't think I have, I don't have that demo either. I was just like, oh, do I have that demo? I was I happy have... to see that it wasn't nearly as expensive as I had expected, as far as the median price on the resource, at least, is concerned. Well, they yeah, they hit a point where these records were going for like a fucking fortune. Yeah, yeah. I think it's sort of. I don't. I certainly, it's, some of them seem still pricey enough, but. Which one are you talking about? Is it the one with like the half cover you're talking about for that first record? Uh, the one that has like – it's got like a – it almost has like a uh, OB strip on it, like Japanese style. And it's like limited to 300 tour press stamped and numbered. The one I'm looking at here, which – okay, maybe it's not. This one's limited to 100. There's a few variations. There's like tons of – yeah. Difficult, yeah. This was the tour one they had on that summer tour. Is it like the red um, photocopied cover looking? Thing? No, that's the Mosh Camp one. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Red Mosh Camp cover. I don't know. I don't – I never really – I the version I have of this is just a standard whatever, regular cover. So I never uh, I never sought out any of the rare ones. I didn't care. Yeah, there's, it's it's one of those records, you know. Like I, I, yeah. I would still love a Mosh Camp. I wonder if like Mosh Camp's probably like the floor punch on gold of this era. <laughs> of that era, never I mean. thought about it. It's never been sold, but there are five who want it apparently. So yeah, who I'm, knows? I'm going to put mine up there six now. It actually says in the notes limited to one known copy. It claims. Well, then I'm not going to get it. There's a couple different other <laughs> Mosh ones there. They also have your uh, your Rare Fire American Nightmare records never been sold on here. 
The X one. Don't you have an X or is it a blood splatter or something? Which? No, I don't know what you're talking about. A background the... music. I thought you had like some weird version. Oh, of no, it. no, I do. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Pardon me. I thought you were talking about the seven inches. Yeah, I have a, a weird rare version of the uh, the first LP. Um, what the hell version is it? But yeah, anyway, great, uh, great band. I like this band. But the rare one, I don't even know what the hell it goes for. But these were expensive records for a minute. I don't know how much... They still they're still expensive records. Like they're they? like okay. you know like there's no like there's like a bunch of them that have never been sold on here too. Hmm. Um, yeah, the one I have is probably maybe this blood. No, that's not it. I think you have I the next one you told me. Yeah, I, I have. I don't know what it's called. I've never really looked at. I don't have this logged in on my uh, my stuff. I probably oh. should. But anyway, this has gotten very nerdy. What? Uh, it's gotten very <laughs> never, nerdy, Chris. Never mind. Yeah, I guess one version on here is like red. Yeah, I think this is the one I have. It's a red, which is like hundred. Well, median's like eighty bucks, but there's two being sold for like a hundred, almost two hundred bucks. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I was I was very fortunate and lucked into one. It's funny too. Like that now that jacket's been that's the Kanye jacket forever. Yeah, which is funny. I was going to bring that up because we had discussed it before and this idea, your theory that Kanye is a punk uh, from some episodes past. Uh, punk adjacent we came to, right? Well, punk, was... punk adjacent, pardon me. But yeah, yeah. the uh, photographer, uh, whom I can't remember, I believe his name is Jim Goldberg, um, which is the cover of background music for those who are familiar. The actual photo on that is a photo of his, which then was uh, used in yeah, some kind Goldberg. of – yeah, it was not, some not to be confused with the Bill Goldberg. <laughs> but uh, it was used in some kind of whatever Kanye-related promo thing that set off this whole theory of Damien's that Kanye is influenced by punk in some capacity like, or contemporary yeah. American hardcore, if you will. Wes is like, was it Wes or Jake that did the uh, or uh, Jacob Bannon that did the? Uh did the um, design for this thing. The actual layout of the record? I yeah, would imagine who, who probably can... probably was Jake from Converge, who I believe did most of this stuff. That's what I was saying. Oh, yeah, Jay Bannon, of course, design and art direction by. But I was going to say, because, like, you know, between this and then, of course, the infamous Fallout Boy, uh, let's put it politely, tribute to American Nightmare that they did. Uh, you know, the influence of this band is, is, is goes far beyond just all the bands that we knew that dyed their hair black and, and grew it out a little bit after American Nightmare hit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do think I'm with you. Uh, what you're discussing now, I don't know the specific thing you're talking about. I've heard tell over the years. It's a bit of inside baseball, I think. That's right for part two. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the uh, as far as like what came in the wake, or at least bands seemingly aping, yeah, there was uh, it was a bit frustrating um, for a minute um, trying to decipher what bands weren't just sort of knocking off this yeah. uh, vibe or whatever. Uh, that is one thing that was of that era, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like you know they were like we talked about. They were like one of those bands that changed the uh, the momentum, you know, for hardcore yeah. for a certain type or or for yeah. For for a while, you know, yeah, like directly I agree. Bef- before him was refused, and you know, uh, Kid Dynamite, Larry Lifetime, too, and so. Anyway, we could go on forever about this, Chris. Yeah, we didn't we even could. get to any specific points from the episode. I think we talked a good amount, but if there's anything you want to get to specifically, or you want to wrap on this, uh, I guess we're gonna probably have to wrap on this. I would love to have talked about the Bruisers. Yeah, same. <laughs> Big fan. Yeah, me too. Do you have any of those original Bruiser singles, by the way? The first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same. I have the first one. I don't think I have this. Is it the, There's like the first two are really good, if I remember correctly. I think they're all good. I even like that that like Lost and Found LP that has like uh, uh, the, them all on the cover on the car. Yeah, I think I have that LP, but the uh, actually, and that, and that reunion LP is really good too. I like them the whole way through. There's not a, there's not a. I haven't heard a bad record. I haven't heard the, the last stuff that they did, like the. Oh no, I guess I have heard that stuff from '98. Yeah, I don't have American Night. I only have Intimidation, which is a great record. Intimidation. Um, okay, yeah, so sick. 
Um, yeah. And I do have cruising for a bruising like you. Uh, but And actually, that In the Pit Live and Rare is very good, too, on TKO from 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't have everything. But, yeah, it's certainly a great band. Yeah. And um, uh, that this is my – this is like the – I prefer – uh, Albar in bruisers as opposed to drop kicks all due respect so yeah. that's more my wheelhouse personally um i have a yeah like this this actually this was like early on when i got into to deep ebay addiction <laughs> i would go on late and i would just or you know and just google variations on the spelling of test press oh yeah i noticed that people didn't really have a defined kind of like way of you know was it test press test pressing test press two words <laughs> test pressing two words you know so i just searched all these things and i got a bruiser's test press of the seven inch the first one for like next to nothing yeah nice one, that's one of my cool. best ebay days yeah that's a good score god chris you got to give me your password can i just borrow your password for no a little bit? i don't even remember what mine is i use ebay so infrequently now but um i just need it for like a little bit i promise for a I'm time not gonna spend you that were, much. To the audience who doesn't think you're serious by saying these things, you were deep, mm. deep, deep, deep for a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. I'm still paying it off. <laughs> Are you really? Oh, God, I'm going to be paying it off my eBay addiction for the rest of my life. <laughs> I didn't know that, but you weren't alone, I will say that. There were a lot of people who were deep. Yeah, and uh, I, like, luckily, uh, compared to some of the people we know, I never really had uh, expensive tastes. When it comes to yeah. that stuff, like I think for me, it was always about trying to find scores on there, which is insane because it's an auction. There's never a fucking score. Um, <laughs> and also it was like about trying to get like weird, random kind of obscure things. Like I would, I wish I had gone harder on like the big ticket records back then because oh, they're, yeah. they're now worth even more. But Yeah, little did we know. Yeah, yeah. same. Who knew? Well, back then we had exchange to deal with, which we thought would be the biggest punishment we'd ever see. And now the market has just gone insane. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, unfortunately dark times for people like you and I. Yeah. At the minute. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think for everyone, it's pretty dark times right now. Um, well, I'm not sure everyone will still pursue <laughs> their wants for the rest of their life is what I'm saying. Yeah, now everyone's just like, let's not just buy records anymore. Let's get rid of all our records. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it hasn't gotten that – it hasn't at that point yet. But yeah. there's like it, – it's nuts how many records the bruisers have. They do. They have a good amount. Well, I don't have nearly as many. But yeah, great but, band. I th- I just wanted to make like make sure we at least – you know I've mentioned Red Brigade a couple times – they were to me. I think it was expressed in the interview, but very, very good mention. Bruisers, cool. Um, what was the other one? We didn't talk about Unbroken, but there's another kind of sea change group. Yeah, that that's... was. But like, they, I think it was like, you know, the impact that they had was much was like, you know, felt more after the fact. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe not because like they're they're certainly well, actually, as Wes saying it was, but there's that video of their reunion show. Where it looks, it's an incredible video to watch. But yeah, yeah like the impact that they've had, like the influence they had, like, you know, from the impact they had on everyone in our neck of the woods through Chris Callahan and his unbroken tattoo and just his like <laughs> nonstop, you know, love of that band to like the impact they had on like West to the impact they had on, you know, the, the members of AFI to, you know, like they, they, they deep reach. The, um, oh, I and also he, like uh, Death from Above 1979. Where really? I don't know the influence there. Really, Je- or uh, Jesse, I guess. Yeah, like the like the, the he was like obviously the Locust was a big influence, but he was definitely an Unbroken fan. Okay, yeah, it was sort of whatever. I just never saw. I saw him more as like the Locust, yeah, whatever certainly. thing rather than. Um, but uh, the one point I thought was funny too to touch real quick because I remember not so much with this specific group but others. Uh, not being, I'm not buying youth of today because of how they looked. Yeah. Um, I recall that, like, I always remember that, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of a band finding a record and like being, but for me, it was always like a lot of, I, and I guess I'm maybe speaking out of turn here when I say like seemingly like a weird era of like California. So I think of stuff like, like late, uh, or later uniform choice or something. 
where it was like when long hair became like a thing again. Yep. And I mean, I'm not talking when I wasn't buying these records when they came out, but even coming to them later going back and going like, yeah, this weird, like, I'm not really feeling like the hair farmer thing, (laughs) like just didn't have that like minor threat aesthetic immediately for me to identify with. And I just thought it was very strange. Now, of course, I think this is very silly. Um, because I don't, I think Poison Idea is a great example of like a band that really kind of doesn't have like a, an aesthetic that is, you know, whatever, like atypical to what the music is, if you will. I'm trying to find um, the picture of this world rejected from their seven inch, but they were definitely a band. When I got that seven inch, I was like, this cannot, like, <laughs> what the fuck? How, like, this is a, not a punk band. I do remember thinking when I first saw yeah, the look cover. At, okay, if you, if you Google This World Rejected, uh, there's a <laughs> Corgasm uh, article about it, of course. It's Post Zero Tolerance. Oh, really? Okay. I'm, and I don't it features know what the they're... dude from the uh, – I, I, actually, I don't know if he was in this band. There was a member – no, I don't think he was in this band. I think he was in – Yeah, but that photo looks okay. No, I think it was this photo where I was just like, these guys look like all jocks. Yeah, they do. But now, I mean, like, that... obviously, I know these guys look actually kind of sick. But yeah. when I got this 7-inch in, like, you know, one of my first 7-inches I bought, God knows why this is one of the first 7-inches I bought. They're yeah, really I think I just think that idea is funny. I, I wonder how much of that exists anymore. The idea of, like, <laughs> the, like the aesthetic of a, of a whatever, of a group being a turn off to the point where someone won't listen to the music. I'm sure it exists, but <laughs> um, oh, yeah. the one I will say is the, it's well, not the poison the, idea for the longest time. I thought like, you know, when I was a kid, I was just like, there's no way this band's good. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. That was, yeah, it's, uh, but for me, it was the back, the back of the, uh, youth of today, disengaged seven inch. Because I bought that was one of the earlier sort of whatever like between like Minor Threat Seven Seconds whatever used to today this record I remember getting and I remember seeing the back of it because the cover's pretty cool but the back of it when like Ray seems to be wearing a pair of jogging pants and like has like a pair of shoe docks on <laughs> and he looks so weird like I just remember thinking like oh man is this really going to be I don't know what's happening here but uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I think the Misfits are a good example for a lot of people. Like I know so many people, including uh, a, a, uh, this woman I used to date, uh, had never heard them. She's <laughs> like, I won't like them. There's no way I'm going to fucking like this band. They're going to. I get that, but for me, it was like the you know coming from a small town, and that's one of these Hallmark groups that people hear about, so they get into them. Uh, it was seemed to be the reverse. It's like yeah. the people got into them because of the way they looked and never really were interested in punk, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, which again speaks to your most punk, not punk uh, argument. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the uh, I don't know. I just thought it was funny him mentioning that and the idea of that existing. I'm not sure that is still the same thing anymore because people can research things so easily or hear it that I don't yeah. know if that's as discouraging as it was at uh, at that time. But uh, that I identified with. Just that. to Not finish so that story, I did play her the Misfits, and they became her favorite band. <laughs> Good on you. Well, we have uh, we have a Dave knocking on the door here. We do, we do. We should wrap this one up. Uh, this has been fun. I like this without the mailbag because we just get to like dive in. But you know what? We're going to be back to the mailbag. Merge the two shows next week once we correct the timeline, Chris. Cool. So let's Sounds go. Good. Let's go jump over to. Uh, to let's go jump over to the else world and correct the disruption in, in the mailbag. All right, man. Uh, so everyone, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us once again, hit me up uh, at uh, Turned Out a Punk Podcast yeah. at gmail dot com. Uh, the uh, aforementioned Dave is dinging us like crazy right now. Um, and you can also hit me up on various forms of social media outlet for Damien support this show. Please subscribe to this, write a review and rate it. If you use iTunes, if not, just tell your friends and post about it on uh, the message boards that we're talking about, you know, find, <laughs> post about it on X mullet X. Yeah. Get a login. Uh, someone needs to help me with the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, how do they get in touch with us here? Turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com.
All right. Well, that is it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week.